Welcome to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. Welcome back to Activate, a podcast designed to challenge you to make your faith active in your life. I'm Brandon Reeve, and I'm joined today by Pastor Christian Newsom of Journey Church International. Today's our Easter edition, as we are going to be wrapping up our conversation on our series, Famous Last Words, What Jesus Wants to Know from His Seven Statements from the Cross. Uh, Christian, two weeks ago, we had just an incredible Sunday here at JCI. We call it Blue Sunday. We love our Royals. We love baseball at JCI. And we invited their mascot, Slugger, to church, and we had a we just had a blast. Christian, why do we invite Slugger uh, to Sundays like this and, and have Sundays that we call Blue Sunday? Why do we do that? Sure. So when we started our church, you know, one of my church church planning coaches uh, asked me, he said, Christian, who, who are you trying to reach in your community? And I said, you know, we, we want to reach people who don't go to church for the most part. And he said, why do you, um, why don't they go to church? And I said, well, my guess is that, you know, they've never gone to church or they've had a bad experience with church. But I think in my mindset, uh, I, I had a mindset that most people had a negative view of church and that to reach them, I would have to figure out how to correct that negative mindset first to earn the right to minister to them. Uh, and he and he told me, he said, you know, 80% of the people in Kansas City don't go to church anywhere on a Sunday morning. And it's not that they've had a bad experience. Uh, the reality is they don't know your church exists. They don't know that Jesus exists. They don't know that ministry to them exists. Um, so as a church that wants to see people far from God, become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world, we had to develop methods for our mission, meaning everyone in our church has friends that are far from God who are just unaware of churches, Jesus, the gospel in general. So we said, what can we use that allow our people to talk to their friends to say, hey, here's what's going on at our church, something that they might be aware of that they might want to come to, like an NFL Sunday, like a Blue Sunday with Slugger, like a big mom's day or a dad's day. What do people care about that we can leverage to get them here? You know, Jesus had his miracles that he did that drew huge crowds, and he leveraged those miracles to teach people about the kingdom of God. It's kind of the same thing. They're, they're not miracles, but we try to create opportunities that attract people who drive by our church dozens of times a week without even realizing that it's here. We try to create something here to draw them so that we can tell them about the kingdom of God. Yeah, we absolutely had a blast that Sunday. So we'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, if you have any questions that you would love us to answer on this podcast, send us an email at activate at take the journey dot CC. And, uh, and we'd love to answer those live on this podcast. So let's jump into your message this week, Christian. Um, you spoke specifically from a passage in the book of John. And throughout this entire series, you've often used the word eyewitness. Why do you often mention the word eyewitness when talking about biblical events, especially the events that transpired around the cross? So when I was young, growing up in church, we used to have a song about the Bible that was called the B-I-B-L-E. Right. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. me. I Mm -hmm. stand upon the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And then we all got to shout Bible Mm -hmm. before we went and drank the orange stuff and had animal crackers. Like that, that was my kid's church experience growing up. And I was taught that you did things because the Bible said so. And you didn't do things because the Bible said so. But do you know that the Bible doesn't say anything? Do you know that the Bible is not even a book? 
You know, the word Bible means books. The Bible is a collection of books. The Bible doesn't say anything, but people who wrote the Bible, real people, um, they do say things. And we're living in a culture today that doesn't accept the Bible says. Uh, we're living in a post-Christian culture where people need to know a little more than, hey, what does the Bible say? So what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to deepen the faith of a Christian because the Bible doesn't say anything, but Moses does. Moses was a real person that lived at a real time. The history behind he and his life and even um, global civilization at the time is fascinating. The Bible doesn't say anything, but David does. David is somebody who has been found in archaeology, who lived at a specific time in history. His story is fascinating. What he said, it actually makes uh, better spiritual sense and has a deeper spiritual meaning when you understand who he is. So the Bible doesn't say anything, but Solomon does. And you can go visit his stables uh, in the ancient city of Megiddo, on Tel Megiddo in Israel. And when you know about him, it makes his writings mean more things. You know, the Bible doesn't say anything, but we read prayers from Hezekiah. Uh, we we read about the story of Ahaz, whose, uh, whose royal seals have been uncovered in archaeology. I think a lot of people who are far from God discount what the Bible says because they think it's a spiritual fairy tale. But when you can say, listen, these are real people, real places, real events, history and archaeology have recorded them. They continue to uncover them. You can dismiss the spiritual truth if you want to, but you cannot dismiss the person or the event. I mean, it is, it's real and it's been proven real. When I say John was an eyewitness to this event, what I'm saying is there was a real person who really saw this who wrote about this. And that was important to the New Testament authors. When they wrote their books, they wanted people to understand, look, I was there. I saw that. I heard that. Uh, I, I touched Jesus' hands where the nails were. They want you to know this is not a fairy tale, you know, meant to just make you feel good. This is something that really happened. And I think it's important for Christians when their faith is questioned, it should lead to a deepening of their faith, not a departing from their faith. So I'm trying to remind Christians when I say turn to the book of John and let's look at what John, who was an eyewitness to this event, tells us about that day. I'm trying to help Christians deepen their faith by reminding them that it's real. And I'm inviting non-Christians to take a closer look at the facts, because if they're really listening, they're saying, wait a minute, there was a person who was really an eyewitness to this event that recorded it. If it really happened, I probably need to research it a little more carefully, and they will find out there were hundreds, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, people who witnessed this, who were still alive, who are talking about it. So I want to remind Christians that it's real, and I want to introduce people far from God to the fact that it's real enough to check out a little deeper. Right. So let me ask you this, just as a follow-up to that question, Christian. How important is it that we as Christians are well knowledgeable about these facts in the Bible? I think it depends on how much you care about people who need them. If you've been born and raised in church and you think, you know what, I just believe God and I've had an experience with him and I don't care about all that stuff. What you're saying is I do not care enough to learn about the person who does need to care about them. So I think in the in the day and age that we live in, it is critically important, maybe not for your faith, but for the faith of a friend or a family member or a neighbor for you to be able to have just a little more knowledge so when they say, oh, the Bible's just a, you know, it's just a religious book. 
written by a bunch of preachers. You can say, no, 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 no. These were real people that lived at real times that wrote this stuff. You can dismiss what it means spiritually. You cannot dismiss the people, places, or events. They happened. History tells us they happened. Archaeology confirms that they happened. And we, and we have eyewitness recorded history dating from the time that says it happened. So you can, you can ignore it if you want, but you can't just dismiss it. That's good. So the message, uh, this final message of our series was titled Starting at the Finish Line. You gave it. It was powerful on Easter Sunday. And you outlined the history of the world broken up into five specific scenes. Scenes You made it seem like Easter actually started back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Uh, quick question. Do you really believe that, Christian? And, and if so, please help us make this connection. Yeah, so I really do believe that. And let, let me start with... Um let me start with something you may never have thought about. Not something you don't believe, but something you may have never thought about. The the Bible, um, the collection of books that we have, starts with a book named Genesis. First chapter, Genesis chapter 1, is the first chapter of this series of books that we have as the Bible. The last book written was called Revelation. Uh, Revelation 22 is the last chapter. Would you believe that when Genesis 1 was written that God already knew what was going to happen in Revelation 22. Um, Humanity views time and history like we're sitting at a parade and we're watching things go by one at a time, right? One band at a time, one float at a time, um, one car at a time with a beauty queen waving out the back of it. I mean, we, we view history one day, one week, one decade at a time. God views history like he's looking at a parade, but looking at it from a helicopter. He sees the start of the parade and the end of a parade at the exact same time. He can see all of it. So when the books of the Bible began to be written, they were written with a very specific spiritual focus that weaved its way all the way through it from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Basically, we read a story about perfection that was corrupted, about a promise to fix that corruption, and then it ends with perfection recreated. But it's one story. It's not 66 books. It's not just thousands of years of history. It's one story. And the brokenness from the start of the story is fixed at Easter and the perfection recreated at the end of the story happened because of Easter. So basically, this is the the crowning moment of the entire book. It's what all the Old Testament leads up to. It's what all the New Testament descends from. It is the moment that everything is based around. So I believe that the entire Bible, the 66 books of the Bible, all revolve around, point to, and lead from Easter because God saw all of it and sees all of it at the exact same time. And he knew that the whole parade was going to turn at the moment of Easter where perfection had the ability to be recreated internally in our hearts. And then one day eternally for all of eternity with God. I love that analogy used of the parade. That's a great way to explain it. Um, Let's take a moment real quick and talk about Jesus' final statement from the cross. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
perhaps one of the most important spiritual truths that we looked forward to as Christians is the reality of an afterlife. This life we live is is not the end for us. It's only um, only the beginning. You challenged us in this message with this question: What have you committed? your spirit to after this life. Many are skeptical skeptical about an afterlife and the concept of eternity. Um, they might flat out deny it, or they might even have a warped perspective of what happens after this life. Christian, take a moment and help us grasp the reality of afterlife. And how can we best explain this to our friends who may be skeptical or deny its reality? So I read this question when you sent it over and I thought, why in the world would you ask me this question? Like, I, I cannot prove to people that there is an afterlife, um, right. and I'm I'm not willing to go and come back so that I might <laughs> so that I might have that ability. And you hear all kinds of near death experiences talking about what people witness, but very seldom do they match up with what God tells us, uh, reveals to us about eternity in the books of the Bible. So so that's hard. Um, but can I help people grasp the reality of the afterlife without Jesus? No. I mean, I really can't. Even the first century Jewish people were unsure of an eternity. There was an entire group of religious leaders known as the Sadducees who denied that there was an afterlife. They thought this is all that there was. And Jesus had to tell them, listen, God is the God of the living. He's not the God of the dead, which means when God says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they've been dead for 500 years, he's saying they're alive again. So even Jesus was trying to convince people, listen, the afterlife is true. So why do I believe the afterlife? Well, I I believe Jesus taught about it, that there was one. And then I believe that Jesus proved he had power over death by healing people, specifically his friend Lazarus, where he prayed, God, I know I can raise people from the dead, but these people don't know that. So I'm going to do this so they know that I raise people from the dead. And then he then he proved it by doing it himself. Like he died, he was buried, and then he came back to life. Without Jesus teaching, without Jesus healings, without Jesus examples, I don't know that I that I could grasp the afterlife. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus was the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep means he he proved that there are more on the way the first fruit is the first apple on the tree that lets the farmer think okay we're going to have a harvest this year thank god when jesus rose from the dead everyone now gets to exhale and say okay death is not permanent there's something more i think people hope that in ecclesiastes 3:11 solomon says god plants eternity in the hearts of man so that they'll seek after God. I think that we we hope for that. I think that we look for that. And I think in Jesus, we find that. And who did Jesus say that to? He said it to a man named Matthew. He said it to a man named Mark. Uh, it was researched, his teaching, by a man named Luke. He said it to a man named John. They wrote it down when they were with him. He really said it. And then he really did all the things that I said he did in front of them. And later he talked to a guy named Paul after he had died from eternity. And Paul said, I have learned this directly as an eyewitness from him. So I think it's in our hearts. I think revealed in Jesus is, is the hope, not just the possibility, but the hope that it's real, that we put our trust in. And then I go back to the philosopher, Pascal. Um, you know, Pascal's wager is this. If I believe there's an eternity 
and I live in such a way that I get there when I die and there isn't, I've lost nothing. I've lost nothing. But if I believe there isn't an eternity and I live in a way that doesn't prepare me for it, and then I find out that there is, I've lost everything. So I can't prove it. And I don't want to say just in case, because I believe in it more than just in case. But I'm living my life in a way that I fully believe that it's true. And if I get to the end of my life and it's not, I'm not going to be disappointed. But if I live my life in a way where I just thought, you know, who cares? And then I then I get to the end of my life and realize that there, there's an eternity based on who I place my faith in and how I live my life. I think I'd regret how I live my life. So that's that's a hard, hard question. But there is um, there is there is proof. There is hope. And I think there's any there's something internal in our spirit that points to it. That's powerful. Thanks for that hard question. Yeah, I mean, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. So you shared a story in your message of a time when you were younger and you were playing football and you broke your you broke your arm. I was a very I was a I was an intense football player yeah. who was scared to death and, and I had don't want, several broken bones. Sure. I don't want to share. I don't want you to on the podcast share because I want people to go and listen to your message or because it, it was actually quite humorous um, in your strategy for tackling people. <laughs> I actually broke my humorous. That's a good one in that humorous story. All right. You can you like tweet that? that. You can tweet that. That was pretty yep. good. Broke so my I humorous, broke, broke my humorous in a humorous story. <laughs> So listen, I've broken a few of uh, bones myself. I've actually, I've, I've dislocated my pinky and every once in a while I'll bump it and I'll dislocate it, look down it and, I, and look at my pinky and say, my finger should not be pointing that direction. It's, yeah. it's quite gross. I can't help but uh, think that there are individuals listening to this podcast today, though, that maybe are broken or hurting in different ways, um, maybe emotionally, relationally, physically. Um, but even more, there are individuals who are listening that are dislocated. They are totally disconnected and feel removed or distant from a faith they once knew. Christian, would you mind take a moment and speak to the hearts of those who are listening, who feel broken or who feel disconnected? And perhaps if that doesn't describe you who is listening today, you probably know someone who is. So why does the story of Easter mean so much to these individuals? You know, Easter really is more for the person who's dislocated than for the person who's broken. Because Easter is not a story about a broken bone that needs to be reset. It's about a dead person who needs to be revived. When Jesus came off the cross, he didn't go to a recovery room until he was healed. He went to a tomb. He was dead. He was totally disconnected from life. And God brought him back to life. So if you're listening to this podcast and you feel like your life has been taken from you, because your husband or your wife walked out, because your kids are living in rebellion, because you got passed over from promotion at work or you got fired from your job, because you didn't get into the college that you wanted to get into, uh, or because you you didn't get hired in the next step of your career path. If your spirit has not just been broken, but it's been dealt a death blow, there's good news for you. God works in the tomb of death, not just in Jesus, but in our spirits and in our marriages and in our relationships and in our families, God takes dead things and he makes them alive. The story of Easter is not someone struggling in the ocean who needed a flotation device thrown to them. 
the story of Easter is someone who was drowned and dead and pulled up from the bottom of the ocean floor and laid on a deck prepared to be buried and God spoke life into that dead thing. So if you're hurting and you need healing, that's possible through Jesus. Um, but if you're if you say something has died inside of me that can never be repaired, actually Easter's more for you than for someone else. Easter's not just about a cross. It's about a crossroads. It's about a new direction. It's about a life filled with new experiences. It's a life that begins with a new spirit. One of the Old Testament prophets says that in, that in the Messiah, in Jesus, God takes your heart of stone, a, a dead heart, and he replaces it with a heart of flesh, one that is living and is beating again. The story of Easter is that your healing, your hurt can be healed. The story of Easter is that your brokenness can be reset. The, the story of Easter is the things that have died in your life can have new life in them because of Jesus. Easter's not just a cross, it's a crossroads. Christian, I know somebody out there needed to hear that today, so thank you for sharing. And if you do feel broken or if you do feel disconnected, we would love to help you in any way we can. Send us an email at activate at takethejourney.cc and, and we'd love an opportunity to pray for you or at least point you in the right direction. So Christian, as we wrap up today, give us a sneak peek at where we're going next in our, in our new series coming up at JCI. Yeah, so I've got a band around my right wrist right now that says Family Strong. Nice. Uh, the thing that I want almost more than anything in life is to have a strong family. Uh, I want to have a strong family. I want to be a strong husband. I want to have a. Sh I want to be a strong dad. I want to have strong kids. I, I want my family to make it, and I want my family to be strong. If everything else goes wrong in life, but my family goes right, I'm okay with that. So we start a new series called Family Strong, uh, and kind of the the subtitle of the series is Fight for Your Family. Nehemiah told the people he was leading in Nehemiah four fourteen, Fight for Your Family. So we're going to take four weeks. We're going to look very specifically at four families, and we're going to look at what they did to fight for their family, spiritually, relationally, um, you know, sometimes husbands and wives fighting together. We're going to look at Mother's Day at two mothers who did not have the spiritual support of their husbands, and they fought anyway for their kids. It's a, it's a series I'm really looking forward to because it's something I'm passionate about learning about, and it's something I hope our church is known for. People not who have perfect families, but people who fight for their families. It's going to be another great series, and so we, we really do look forward to it. And again, we thank you for listening again today. We hope that you had an incredible Easter as you remembered the incredible sacrifice of Jesus and reflected upon the hope that you have because of his resurrection. And as always, we pray that our conversation today makes your conversations this week easier and more impactful. We'll catch you next time on the Activate Podcast, where we challenge you to build a faith that is active. Thank you for listening to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. As you heard in this episode, Christian answered several questions from some of our listeners. You might have a question you'd like to ask as well. To submit that question, all you need to do is send us an email to activate at takethejourney.cc. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you show your support by subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes. Also, share this episode with all your friends on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time on the Activate Podcast.